Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. All right, I want to ask you to take God's word and open it with me to Matthew chapter 14 for this morning's message and for this time together today. This morning, as we begin our time together, I want to start with a very simple question. And no, it's not a joke. Here's the question. In your life, have you ever experienced failure? In your life, have you ever failed at anything? My guess is today that some of us would say, Pastor Matt, absolutely, I not only failed the test, I failed my way all the way through high school and I don't know how I graduated, okay? (laughs) The fact of the matter is, all of us in some capacity have probably failed along the way. Maybe it was a test, maybe it was that class, maybe it was that project, maybe we failed in the go. Maybe we just failed to get to church on time this morning, I don't know, okay? The fact of the matter is we've all failed and sometimes those failures are major things like we failed at certain commitments that we made or maybe even that we failed in a relationship along the way. But did you know today that when you know Jesus, when you look to Jesus, when you trust in him, your failure does not have to be final. The truth of the matter is today, because God is bigger than our biggest failures, even in the midst of our failures, there are things that he can do in our lives. There's things that he can accomplish to not only rescue us, but also to further us and to grow us according to his plan and purpose. We all experience failure, no matter how talented we are, no matter how experienced we are, no matter how wise we are, it's what we do in those failures that really matters. More importantly, it's who we look to in those failures. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna begin a sermon series entitled, Failing Forward, Failing Forward. But I have a word of caution for us. The word of caution is this. There are many people in our culture who believe that you can fail forward by pulling up your bootstraps and getting to to hard work and having enough willpower and self-focus that you can do it yourself. You can use your failures for good in your life. But I'm here to tell you, we can't do it on our own. The key to failing forward is not in our willpower and what do we do? The the key to us failing forward is this. It is that in our failures, we must look to the Lord, we must learn to trust in him, and we must love him. And as we do those things, God uses those things to mold us and to shape us and to further us in the ways that he's calling us to. Well, over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at a key illustration, and that is the example of Simon Peter. I don't know if you remember Simon Peter in the Bible, but Simon Peter was a pretty important person in the New Testament. Uh, He was one of the the big three, so to speak, of Jesus' inner circle, those disciples that, that were close to Jesus. He was an apostle in the early church. He was the writer of 1 and 2 Peter. It was the apostle Peter who would preach on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two and 3,000 souls were saved in that one day on that one occasion. It was the apostle Peter that Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I say to you that you're Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. It is this disciple named Peter that we're gonna learn so much about in the context of failures. Why? Because frankly, it's easy for us to get focused on all the victories and successes of Peter to completely forget 
he made a lot of mistakes. In fact, if you study the life of Peter, there's actually more recorded failures of Peter than there are successes. But we often dismiss them and forget them because in the midst of those failures, he was willing to look to the Lord. And in looking to the Lord, the Lord not only rescued him, but he launched him further into his divine plans and purposes for Simon Peter. So here's the wonderful word of encouragement. For anyone who has ever failed... For anyone who looks back at 2021, and frankly, it feels like more failures than successes. For anyone even here today or watching online who frankly in their life just feels like a failure. There is a word of encouragement for us today, and that is this. Jesus can meet you at your point of failure, draw you close, and change your future. As we look at failing forward, we're gonna see four different types of failure that Simon Peter experienced. And I think if we look closely at them, we'll find that we can identify loud and clear. And we begin today in Matthew chapter 14 with what we're simply calling a failure in faith. A failure in faith. Matthew chapter 14, if you would, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word beginning in verse 22. Listen to what the Bible says. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, listen to these words, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love for us, and I thank you for your mercy, that even in our times of mistake and our time of failures, God, you meet us in our point of need. God, I pray today that you would help us to see, even like, the, like Peter in this moment of failure, help us to see that our greatest need is you. And I pray that we would cry out to you for help. Lord, save us. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. A failure in faith. Obviously, if you look at God's word to any length of time, you know that faith is a key theme of the entire Bible. In fact, I would say to us today that in every page, every chapter, just about every verse is bringing us to the point that God is calling us to have faith in him. Faith is not merely an emotional feeling that makes you feel good. Faith is not a list of facts that you might memorize and know and comprehend and understand. Faith is a conviction about God that leads us to action. It's a conviction about the Lord that always leads us to action. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it goes on in verse 6 to say, and without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. 
God calls us to be a people of faith, living by faith in him. But if we're honest about it, that's not always easy. It's not always easy to live by faith when things aren't going the way that we want them to, when things aren't going the way that they thought they would, when things aren't going the way that we envisioned along the way. It's not always easy, but the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we, those who know Christ, are to walk by faith and not by sight. Here in this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples have experienced an incredible time with the Lord. And here in this moment, as we've read this text, we see a major theme, and that is the theme that God begins to test their faith. Please understand that the testing of our faith comes at times so that our faith will be strengthened, so that our faith can grow, so that we can grow closer to the Lord and even more in his likeness. But there's a second theme of this text, and that is the theme of fear. And I think in our time together, we're going to see how God calls us to faith, but how the enemy often uses fear to try to rob us of the faith that God is calling us to. This morning, as we look at this failure in faith, I want you to see four things with me about this illustration in Matthew chapter 14. The first thing I want you to see this morning is what we'll simply call the adversary of faith, the adversary of faith. We all know what an adversary is this morning. An adversary is an opponent who brings about conflict, dispute, and disruption. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, the Bible says we have one primary adversary, and his name is Satan. He is the devil. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But Satan doesn't work alone. He has many tools, many weapons, if you will, in his arsenal through which he uses to try to distract us, to hinder us, and to rob us of the very things that God is desiring to do. One of those primary weapons in his arsenal, so to speak, is the weapon of fear. He will do anything that he can to create fear in our hearts and fear in our minds so that it might paralyze us and hinder us from going forward with God. Well, there's a word of discouragement, isn't there? Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are, I would imagine we've all experienced fear. By show of hands, anybody here today ever been afraid? Those of you who are not probably afraid to raise your hand, I understand, okay? (laughs) Illustrations told of a little boy one day, he was laying in bed and there was a thunderstorm and it was loud outside and every now and then the entire night sky would light up by the lightning across the sky and he was afraid and he called for his mom and he said, oh mama, it's so scary outside. Will you please sleep in my bed tonight? And the mother looked and she said, oh son, I can't sleep in your bed tonight. Well, why not mama? Because I have to sleep in daddy's bed tonight. Without batting an eye, that little boy said, daddy's a big sissy. He's a big sissy. (laughs) Truth is, it doesn't matter whether you're a little boy or you're an old boy. The fact of the matter is we all experience fear. And Satan wants to use that fear to hinder us from the things of God. He will use that fear to paralyze us from moving forward in faith. He will use that fear to isolate us from one another. He will use that fear to cause all sorts of unhealthy emotions and situations in our life. He will use that fear to cause us to disbelieve the promises of God. He will use that fear to cause us to assume the outcome of the future without trusting God who holds the future in his hand. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, but somebody said, Pastor, I don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty confident about things. I'm not that afraid. Well, the disciples didn't think they would be afraid either. 
But suddenly and unexpectedly in their life, in Matthew chapter 14, there was a series of events that took place that brought these grown men to a place of crying out in terror. Three things that took place. They're kind of like a one, two, three punch of unexpected situations. And let me just kind of tell them to you quickly and then we'll unpack them a little bit. First off, there was an unexpected separation. An unexpected separation. Second, they faced an unexpected storm. An unexpected storm. And finally, they faced an unexpected scare. An unexpected scare. Now, the truth is, is there are many things that we can face and we can conquer in our life if we can forecast that they're coming. We've adjusted even our service schedules today because we're anticipating a snow that's going to begin about the time we conclude the service in a little while. But there are many things in life that happen unexpectedly. We didn't anticipate it, we didn't foresee it, we didn't know it, and suddenly it is upon us. And that's what happens in this passage of scripture. First, there's an unexpected separation. Now picture the scene for just a moment. The disciples have been with Jesus, ministering with him for many consecutive days. Jesus has been teaching and the people have been astounded by his, his message. Jesus has been performing miracles and the, the lame are beginning to walk, the blind are being given sight. It's an incredible moment. Just prior to this, as the crowd has gathered, they're hungry, and Jesus takes loaves of bread and fish, and he feeds 5,000 men, more even so women and children. It's an incredible moment. The disciples are enjoying this. God is working. God is moving. Look at the crowd that's coming to believe Jesus. And the Bible says something interesting as the text unfolds. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Now that may sound subtle, it may sound simple, but it is not what the disciples expected. They expected that Jesus would stay close by. They expected that no matter what would come, Jesus would be right there with him, that they could hear him, that they could touch him, they could feel him, but that's not what happens. Jesus knowingly tells them to get into the boat, knowingly sends it on the other side, knowing what's to come, and the Bible says they experience an unexpected separation. Secondly, there was an unexpected storm. In fact, the Bible tells in verses 23 and 24, after he sent the crowds away, he himself went to the mountain to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Were contrary, and the Bible never calls it a storm, but it does tell us that the winds were contrary and the waves were literally battering the boat. The word for battering there is the same word that's used for terrorizing the boat. In other words, the disciples get into the boat, they make their way, they're as literally as far away from land as they can be. It's the middle of the night, a storm brews up, the wind is whipping, the waves are crashing against the boat, so much so that the boat is beginning to be damaged. They didn't expect this. I, I no doubt in this moment they're wondering, man, where is Jesus? What's going on? Why did he send us into the storm? What they didn't realize is that there were things that they were going to experience. There were things that Jesus was going to reveal about themselves and about himself that they would have never known had it not been for this night out in the deep in the middle of a storm. I wanna remind us this morning that there are times in our life that God sends storms into our life to correct us because we're going the wrong direction, we're not living for him, and God in his love sends a storm to draw us back. 
But there's also storms that God sends along the way to perfect us, to strengthen us, to shape us. James chapter one, verse 12 tells us loud and clear these simple words about these trials and storms. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like a potter molding the clay, knows exactly what's needed for that vessel to be strong and to be healthy. Jesus knew in that moment exactly what was needed for them to grow, to be strong and healthy. Can I remind you, even today, when you go through the storms of life, God knows exactly what is needed for us to be strengthened and drawn closer to him. But then there's a third thing, and that was an unexpected scare. An unexpected scare. I find great encouragement to know that even when Jesus was not with them on the boat, where was he in their point of need? Even though they couldn't see him, they couldn't touch him, they couldn't feel him, they couldn't hear him in this moment, where was Jesus? I'll tell you where he was. The Bible says in the exact moment that they were out in that boat alone, Jesus was on the mountain praying. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's praying for, but I believe he's praying for them. Well, where was Jesus in this moment when they're facing this incredible storm? I find great encouragement to know that Jesus was praying for them and that Jesus has the power to calm the storms in their life. And so what does he do? Jesus comes to meet them. He goes right as they're in the middle of the storm to reveal his presence. Please understand, the thing that they were afraid of most in that moment, as the wind and the waves are beating against them, the water's beginning to come into the boat, the thing they were afraid of most in that moment was just a staircase for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to meet them in their moment of need. Jesus shows up on the scene. But instead of recognizing him, instead of realizing it was him, the Bible says something interesting, doesn't it? The fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Someone said, Pastor Matthew, are you afraid of ghosts? Or do you believe in ghosts? The answer is I don't believe them, but I am afraid of them, okay? <laughs> the disciples in this moment, they're terrified. Why? Because they don't realize that the person coming towards them is Jesus they think they're seeing some sort of spirit. They think they're going to die. They think the end is near. But I want to remind us loud and clear, when we go through times of adversity and storms and scares along the way, we must be looking for the presence of Jesus. I love the way that Warren Wiersbe says it. They did not recognize Jesus because they were not looking for him. Had they been waiting by faith, they would have known him immediately. Instead, they jumped to the false conclusion that the appearance was that of a ghost. Listen to this statement. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart, for fear always blinds the eyes to the presence of the Lord. Friend, I wanna encourage you today, when you begin to face those unexpected circumstances in your life, instead of looking away from Jesus, instead of looking at all the storms swirling about you, start looking for his presence. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, that Jesus himself promised, I am with you, what's the word? Always. When it's good, no, always. When it's bad, no, always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus himself said in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. The adversary of faith. But the second thing I want you to see then is this. I want you to see the actions of faith. 
In this moment, they're crying out in fear. And what does Jesus do? He speaks a word of comfort, a word of encouragement. He says loud and clear in verse 27, take courage, guys. It's me, it is I, and do not be afraid. At the word of Jesus, Simon Peter begins to illustrate loud and clear for us that faith is not merely a feeling or a list of facts that we memorize, but it's genuinely an action that takes place in our life. He demonstrates for us the actions of faith. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I was thinking about this earlier this week. Many years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that people would put on the back of their car that would say this, honk if you love Jesus. Anybody ever seen anything like that before? Honk if you love Jesus. The other day, I pulled up at a traffic light that was taking way too long. I won't tell you what area of town it was. I have no idea why the county designed that thing. But anyway, I was at this traffic light and waiting for Jesus to come back. And as I was there, I noticed there were bumper stickers on the vehicle in front of me and one of them caught my attention and I loved it. And it must've been a pastor because here's what it said. It said, serve if you love Jesus, any fool can honk. I was like, man, that's really good. That'll preach, you know? What, what it was saying was, if you love Jesus, live it out is what it, really what it's saying. Well, the truth is, if you believe in Jesus, you don't just feel good about it. You don't just know things, you live it out. Simon Peter in this moment believed it was Jesus and that faith in Jesus led him to action. Peter cries out in this moment, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Two things I want you to see in his actions of faith. Number one, True faith trusts the word of God. True faith trusts the word of God. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? One simple word. And he said, come. Peter, come. Now think of the faith for just a moment, for Simon Peter in this moment. He believed that the Lord had the power to walk on water. He also believed that the Lord had the power to enable him to walk on water. Only one thing Simon Peter is waiting on. He's waiting on the word. Lord, if you say it, if you promise it, if you speak it out, then Lord, I will come. Simon Peter was willing to trust the word of God. And so Jesus says, come. Now, please understand, Jesus didn't explain anything else. He didn't say, now, Simon Peter, let me give you the scientific explanation of how I'm the Lord over all of the forces of nature, and let me tell you exactly how this is going to happen. It's not what Jesus did. Nor did Jesus say, hey, Simon Peter, I tell you, I'm gonna give you a miraculous spiritual staircase. Go ahead, can't you see the staircase? Absolutely, go ahead and step there. Yep, one step, and yep, you're good. Nor did Jesus say, now, I, Peter, look around, look at all the angels that are gonna carry you right now. That's not what he did. He just said one word, Come. Now, it's interesting in the NASB, in the translation that we're reading here today, there's an exclamation point there that was not there in the original text. But the reason it's included is because Matthew, the gospel writer, did something very interesting when he wrote the word come. He did not use the normal Greek word that we would use when I would say, hey, come here for a second, let's talk. He used a word that was listed as the direct command of a king. It would be like a king was summonsing a servant and saying, come. What Matthew is saying is this. When Jesus said, come, it was not just an invitation. This was King Jesus giving a direct command. Peter, come. Get out of the boat. Come here. Peter, I know this seems impossible, but I am the Lord. I'm the King of Kings. I have all power and all authority. Come now. 
In other words, in that moment, Simon Peter didn't just hear an invitation. He heard a command from Jesus and he trusted that command. He trusted that word of instruction. He trusted that word from God. I wanna remind us this morning that Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, the word of God not only leads us to salvation, but it is God's word that continues to encourage us and to strengthen us and to sustain us all throughout the journey of life. I understand there's a lot of words in our society that you can't really trust. A lot of people wonder, can we trust Fauci? Can we trust the government? Can we trust the president? Can we trust this military leader? Can I trust my boss? But I am telling you, when God's word is spoken, it will be fulfilled. It never falters or fails. You can trust the word of God. Not only to trust the word of God, please understand, the second action of faith is this. True faith takes steps of obedience to the Lord. I mean, honestly, you can read this so fast that you miss the profound a nature of what's taking place. Jesus said, come, next statement. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. I mean, you, we don't even hear about him debating or delaying. Let me ask you, what would you do? Hey, I know no man's ever done this before, but I'm saying, come here, walk on water. Honest confession, I'm probably sitting there like, Lord, are you sure? Heather, did you hear that correctly? Is that really what he said? You know, like, hey, let's, let's get some counselors together and figure out how we're gonna do this. I, I mean, seriously, I'm probably gonna be like, but, but how, Lord? How's this possible? And how many steps? Are you, are you sure about this, Jesus? But in this moment, it's like without even thinking about it, he has such an assurance about the Lord Jesus Christ, his power and authority, that here he is, his feet are coming over the edge of the boat and he's getting ready to go. I can see it in my mind's imagination that here's doubting Thomas. Whoa, Peter, whoa, 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 you're gonna drown, don't do it. In my mind's eye, here's Judas. Hey, wait a second, let's figure out how to capture this so we can make a bucker off of this. This would be amazing. I imagine Matthew, the tax collector, is like, hey, dude, have you paid your taxes? Because if not, the IRS is going to come looking for me to get your tax money, you know? Like, No, the Bible says that Peter immediately took a step of obedience. He heard the word, he's out of the boat, and there he goes, walking forward in faith and in obedience to the Lord's instruction and command. Peter's actions remind us that there are indeed times to seek the Lord in prayer, and we must be very intentional to study God's word to know what he's saying. But... Once he has spoken and his instruction is clear, it is time to step out in faith and move forward in obedience. And that's exactly what we see in Simon Peter. But I want you to see the third thing. I want you to see the attack of faith. The attack of faith. Please know today, as soon as you start living by faith, as soon as you start focusing on Jesus, and living for him and walking forward with him, the enemy will bring an attack. No sooner had Peter began walking by faith and experiencing the impossible that immediately there was opposition, there was hindrance, and there was distraction. I wanna remind us today loud and clear, even when we live by faith, we must keep living by faith, even in the midst of the attacks that the enemy might bring against us. Here in this passage of scripture, no sooner as Peter begins walking on water, notice what happens in the text. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, 
he became frightened and beginning to sink. I wanna stop for just a moment and kind of focus on what's taking place in this situation. We can all envision the scene as Peter is walking on water. He's walking towards Jesus and everything is going well when all of a sudden he begins to experience an attack. Well, we've already seen in this passage of scripture that what did the enemy use to scare the disciples, to, do, to get the disciples? He used fear. Well, guess what he uses here in this moment? Once again, he uses fear. Two things I want you to see that the enemy does to attack us, to get us off course, to cause us to fail, to cause us to go backward, and to cause us ultimately at times to even sink in our life. First thing he does is this, the enemy often attacks our focus. Our focus. When Peter got out of the boat, please understand, the storm never stopped. Just because Jesus is there does not mean that the winds stopped. Just because Jesus was there didn't mean that the waves suddenly became calm. No, no, no. It's all still going on. But when, G when Peter was focused on Jesus, he wasn't concerned about the wind. He wasn't concerned about the waves. And so here he is focused on Jesus and he's, he's walking by faith. He's literally walking further and further away from the boat and he's getting closer and closer to Jesus. But the closer and closer he gets to Jesus, the further he gets from that which logic says is where he should be. See, the boat represented a place of comfort and a place of convenience, maybe even a place of complacency. Everybody else was in the boat. But the closer he got to Jesus, the further he was away from that. The closer he began to get to Jesus and further away from his comfort, he suddenly began to look around him. And looking around him, he began to see the wind is still moving, the waves are still crushing. He began to think in his mind, how is this even possible? He lost his focus on Jesus. Losing his focus on Jesus ended up being a major cause of his failure. Can I remind us loud and clear today that you and I today, we must, we begin this journey of faith by putting our, our faith in Jesus. But if we're gonna continue to live by faith, we must also focus on Jesus. There's a lot of things in the world around us that can distract us. There's a lot of feelings in our own hearts and lives. There's a lot of things that are going on that can distract us and hinder us, but we've gotta be focused on Jesus. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. It tells us in chapter 12, verses one through three, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, how do we run with endurance? Here's how. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The key to us continually living by faith is fixing our eyes on Jesus, focusing our eyes on Jesus, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean the storm stops. That doesn't mean that life gets easy, but it does mean like the old song says, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, when you look full in his wonderful face, what happens? All the things of this world, all the petty things of this world, they grow strangely dim. Why? Because you're living in the light of his glory and grace. Last night, God gave me a very visual illustration of that. We had this service last night that was at adjusted time because of the weather that's coming. And at the end of the service, there's a family that's been with us the last few weeks and they have two children. And 
Afterwards, they asked me, they said, listen, a lot of people were clearing out, we're hanging out in the lobby, and they said, listen, our, our kids hadn't been outside a lot today, can I let them run a little bit? And we were like, sure, that's fine. And one of their little ones was, was, I mean, really little, younger than a year old, and precious little girl, and she's crawling, she's not walking yet, but she's crawling, and I was talking to the dad over here in the corner, and the mom was kind of listening within an earshot of the conversation. She was down at the end of this black carpeted area and the little girl was, was crawling towards her and the mom got low and the mom kind of said, come here, baby. And, and the little girl started crawling and she was doing, just, and I'm telling you, it was amazing. It was a long distance to crawl, but she's crawling and making her way and she's doing just fine. And you could see the excitement in her eyes. It was so sweet. About that time, like big brothers tend to do. <laughs> here come big brother, oh! And he's running, literally running laps and running circles. And before you know it, another little boy saw it and he wanted to get out on the fun. Before you know it, there's three boys running around and that little precious baby girl that was doing so good, making her way to mama, all of a sudden she stopped and she began to look at her brothers. I'm sure she thought that devil, I'm not sure what she thought, but she's watching these boys running and they're loud and they're hooting, hollering. And all of a sudden she looked back at her mama and she literally just plopped down on her bottom and she began to cry. You know why? She was doing just fine when she was focused on her mama. But when she saw all the cries and all the distractions and all the noise and all the different things, she thought, I can't do it. And she stopped. So often you and I are like that. I sat there and watched that precious little girl last night and I thought, my goodness, Lord, how often have I been focused on you and doing right and pressing forward and then I got distracted and overwhelmed and I've just kind of plopped and not moved forward. Satan attacks our focus, but also he attacks our feelings. Our feelings are a gift from God. God created us in his image. He has given us various emotions, but I want to remind us, Satan can deceive and manipulate those emotions. We must learn to manage our feelings or they will manage and mislead us. Here in this moment, Peter's walking forward by faith, but then he sees the wind and the waves and suddenly he feels something. Oh, it's an old familiar foe, isn't it? The Bible says loud and clear, seeing the wind, he became frightened. He became frightened. It's not until he gets his mind and focus off of Jesus and he gives into the feeling of fear that now something catastrophic happens. It's then that he begins to sink. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I imagine there's probably some of us here today that are sinking and don't even realize it. We've lost our focus on walking by faith, living by our feelings and going here and there by the emotions and the whims of the moment. That's where Peter is. He begins to sink. I find it very interesting in this moment that in his moment of failure, can you just imagine the scene as the disciples are watching Simon Peter literally get out of the boat, walking on the water towards Jesus, and I imagine they're kind of in awe in this moment. This is incredible. Surely that's the Lord out there in the deep part of that sea. Sure, I mean, look, Simon Peter is walking water. This is incredible. I imagine they are amazed. But no sooner was Peter this incredible example of faith that he now became, frankly, an incredible embarrassment of failure. He's sinking. The image here of sinking is not just his toes are in the water. No, the image here is he is going under in a split second. I don't know if you've ever jumped into the deep end of a pool and couldn't swim, but I can tell you from experience, it's not a good place to be, okay? 
He is literally, I mean, like a step away from his head, his head being under. He's a step away from this moment. And he's sinking. He's gone from a hero to a zero just like that. Well, what do you do if you've failed miserably? What do you do if you've lost focus and gotten off course? What do you do when you're sinking and you're in need of help? The good news for us and the turning point of the entire text and message is found in three simple words. Peter's resolution was not some 20-step program. Peter's resolution was not to go to theological school and become an expert or something. Peter's resolution wasn't to go to the local Pharisees and get the next version of the Ten Commandments, basically. Here's Peter's resolution. In that moment of despair, notice what he did. He cried out. He did a lot of good works. Nope. He said, oh God, I'm gonna go to church. <laughs> no. He simply cried out. Lord, by the way, that word means ruler. Not just a teacher. Not just a rabbi. Not just a, an influencer. No, no, no. You are the ruler, the boss, the Lord. Lord, save me. Can I tell you today, when you cry out to God with sincerity and desperation, believing that he can save you and say, Lord, save me, can I just tell you, he saves you. Lord, save me. And I want you to see the fourth thing about this passage of scripture. The fourth thing we see about this failure in faith is this. We see the author and the perfecter of faith. The author and perfecter of faith is simply this. It is a person, his name is Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter two, we're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The author means he's the captain, he's the ruler, he's the prince of our faith, but the perfecter of our faith means that he is the fulfiller, he is the completer, he is the very fulfillment of our faith. We come to experience God's gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also that faith in Jesus Christ that continues to sustain us and to continue to strengthen us as we live through this journey called life. And ultimately one day, the Bible says, when this life is over, our faith will end in sight as we are brought into the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and there we will be with him for all of eternity. Why? Because he's not only the author of our faith, he is the very perfecter and fulfillment of our faith. Here in this moment, Peter is about to experience I mean, full circle, firsthand, that Jesus is not only the source of the beginning of his faith, but he's also the one in this moment who is strengthening and perfecting his faith in this moment, even of failure. Notice what happens. I love this. Please be reminded, even in his failure, Jesus wasn't done with him. When Peter was drowning, it could have been easy for Jesus to say, well, that's your mistake. You lost focus. Not my fault. You, you got distracted. You made this decision. That's not what Jesus did. Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately. Jesus pondered for a long time of what he would do, right? No. 
Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus heard Peter's cry for help. You may be here today and because you've blown it, because you failed, because you feel like your life is one big failure, you would think God couldn't care, nobody else could care, no one would wanna hear, no, I'm telling you, God cares for you and Jesus hears your prayers. He hears your cries for help. In this moment, loud and clear, what God is showing us is this simple reality. The simple reality is God listens to the cries of his people. In fact, I cannot help but to wonder if this is not what Peter had in mind years later in 1 Peter chapter three, when he penned these words, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. You think Peter had experienced that? Absolutely. Not only did he hear Peter's cry, I love this. Jesus not only heard his cry, but Jesus hailed Peter. Now, I can't speak for you what your experience has been, but when I think of this passage of scripture, my mind goes back to many years ago growing up in Sunday school. And growing up in Sunday school, we used to have this flannel board where they had all kinds of pictures and images to kind of depict for you what was taking place. And, and I remember one of the little images had this, this guy like in the water, like almost completely under, and his hand is reaching out. And all of a sudden, the teacher would bring in Jesus, and here comes Jesus' hand to rescue Peter. Maybe you're like me, you can envision that hand being reached. But there's so much more to it than that. Because listen to what the Bible literally says. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and, here's the key phrase, took hold of him. Now, now picture the scene. Peter's exhausted. Peter's been ministering all day with the Lord. 5,000 people have been fed. Food's been taken home in baskets. They've now been in the boat. It's in the middle of the night. The storm has come. They've been terrified. He's been walking on the water and now he's had a near-death drowning experience. Jesus reaches out his hand. Can I, can I just can I give you the picture? Peter is absolutely wore out. I don't know if you've ever helped someone that was just kind of placed a complete sheer exhaustion. Maybe the way to illustrate it would be this, if you've ever been on a sports field or a sports court. Someone experiences an injury. For me, it's a football field. Somebody gets hurt. You go to the person that's been wounded. You don't look at the person and say, okay, now crawl to the other side and you'll be safe over there. No. You know what you do? You get down, you help the person get up, you put their arm over your shoulder, and you help carry their weight. In a sense, you're helping to hold them. They can't do it on their own. The image here of Jesus and Peter is that Jesus rescues Peter. He sends not only a lending hand, but he picks him up and he holds him and he says, Peter, I got you. I, I got to carry you. I'm going to take you safely to where you need to be. But not only did he hold Peter, he helped Peter in ways that Peter had no idea in that moment. Peter had been so sure of himself, so confident in his own ability only to find that when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to drown. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I can tell you what the issue is. I can tell you the flaw. I can tell you the place that you need to grow. Peter, you're of little faith. Why did you doubt? 
Please understand in this moment, this was not Jesus shaming him. The other disciples couldn't even hear this private, personal conversation between the Lord and Peter. Jesus is just showing Peter the reason for his failure and what was needed for him to go forward. It was that he needed to walk and live by faith. The Bible tells us in these verses of scripture, then they got into the boat and guess what happened? Just like that, the wind stopped. Why? Because God's purpose in the moment of the storm has now been fulfilled and accomplished. Now, it would be easy for us to conclude, wow, that's an incredible moment. That's an incredible passage of scripture. What an incredible illustration as God was wanting Peter to grow in his faith. But can I remind us today that this was not merely a message for Simon Peter. It was actually a message for all of the disciples and even for us here today. You know how we know that? We know that because how the passage ended. Now, now let me illustrate this for just, just a moment. In Matthew chapter eight, six chapters ago, there was a major storm. So much so that the disciples said, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? We're gonna die, this storm is so bad. And Jesus gets up and he just speaks a word and instantly the winds and the waves, I mean, they're completely silenced. And the disciples stand in amazement. They've never seen anyone like this. And they say, what manner of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They've never seen anything like it. What kind of man is this? But do you notice in this pastor scripture, when the storm is over, when the wind is calm, when Simon Peter didn't drown, he's back in the boat, they didn't ask a question about Jesus. They gave a statement of faith and conviction. What was that statement? Verse 33. Those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Can I say to us today, God's desire is for each of us to know him. And the way that we know him is by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. It's in that moment of accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior that we begin this journey of faith. But God didn't call us just to begin the journey. He wants us to be faithful in the journey, to walk and to live by faith. But my guess is today, there are some of us here along the way that have stumbled, struggled, fallen, and failed. Some of us today, like that little baby that was crawling last night, that parked and gave up for a moment. Some of us today need to cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. I'm here to tell you today, your failure does not have to be final. God can use it for his glory and for his purposes and even for your good if you're willing to humble yourself and say, Jesus, save me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and our lives. God, I thank you for your grace that you are so faithful and so patient with us. God, I thank you that there's not a single person here that you cannot forgive of sins, that you cannot save. 
Lord, you tell us in your word that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So Father, may today be a moment and a time of salvation as we look to you, Jesus, and call upon you to save us. And at the same time, Lord, there's likely many of us here today who are saved, who even though we've been forgiven, we know we've been set free, we know that heaven is our home, maybe we'd be honest and say, you know, but there's still some, some big struggles in our life. There are some areas where we too have failed in our faith. There's areas in our life where we have doubted and we've been distracted. So Lord, I pray right now that if we're in a place where we have lost focus on you, a place where we've given in to fear and feelings and are not walking by faith, I pray that today would be a day where we draw near to you again. Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Would you hold us close? And would you lead us forward into the path that you'd have us to go. Have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.